Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Welcome to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. My name is Kyle West, and as usual, I am joined by my co-host, Chris Hill. Chris, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself today? Doing well, doing well. Still locked down, but making the best of it. Playing Pokemon with my my son, who's addicted to it, and just thinking about Trek 24-7 right now. So feeling the excitement for um, Lower Deck. So uh, this week, we are traveling back in time to 2001. Uh, We are going to look at what made Trek producers drop the 24th century for the 22nd. The state of the Trek franchise and its fandom as Voyager came to a close and the hype and build-up for Enterprise ahead of its debut on the 26th of September 2001. Before we do that, uh, we would just like to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, We're incredibly grateful to have you join us on this adventure, and we are looking forward to talking Trek with each of you. Don't forget, though, to hit that subscribe button uh, if you haven't already to ensure that you never miss an episode of this podcast. And if you have time, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help us grow this show and get it in front of even more Trekkies across the world. Okay, it's time to jump into this week's conversation and to talk about the beginning of Enterprise, we really must talk about the ending of Voyager, uh, which ended in 2001, May 2001. So obviously we know already that you weren't watching Voyager live, were you? So um, so you wouldn't have been around the fandom so much, I guess, when it was coming to an end. Would that be right? For me, I was just kind of on my own little island as far as Star Trek, I mean, it's just just my family and us watching the original series and the movies. I used to still collect the VHSs. My dad had stopped buying them, so I used to buy them out of my own very little money I had at the time, and I was excited. Now, the truth is, I probably dropped off in the seventh season. I don't even know if I've even today seen all of it. Even in 2001, well, 2000 when it started, the seventh season of Voyager, I was watching a lot of TV shows now that were serialized. You know, Buffy was on the air, mm-hmm. shows like that. So I was really leaning into those, and obviously Star Trek wasn't giving us giving us that uh, at that time. So I think that's why I, I sort of uh, I was still involved with Star Trek loads. I was writing Trek fan fiction, all those things. But I think um, I just had sort of started missing episodes of Voyager. I saw the finale and the last couple of episodes. I think my experience sums up a lot of. Trek fans' experiences at the time in that they had started to move away from the franchise. Not There was no immediate rush because of the standalone nature of Voyager in particular. There was no immediate rush to have to watch an episode. Right, because they always had that huge reset button at the end of every episode. If you missed one, well, it doesn't matter, you know, and I think you can see that in the viewership and the episodes, mm-hmm. they, they just fluctuate. Whereas even Ent- well, Enterprise, certainly in its uh, the second half of the run, it became must-see every week. Yeah. Let's talk about fandom. Obviously, you weren't uh, really in it. You were in your little bubble at the time. But for me, I was on the internet already um, seeing how people were talking about Star Trek. And as we know, and as, as people will have to, would like to trick you into believing with Discovery and Picard and all these shows, and they like to pretend that there's never been outrage about the newest yeah. currently airing Trek show, which actually there has been for every single... <laughs> Every single spin-off has had the exact same outrage and same accusations. But I think people had were very vocal 
on the internet at least of what they weren't liking about Star Trek and of course at the time no one had any idea that this was just a very um, loud minority of people which yeah. is what which is what the forums and such were back then and now that's just transferred onto social media but now a lot of people understand that that's what it is it's just a very the people who aren't happier are more vocal than the ones who are right i think that back then actually people's viewing habits if they were going online thinking oh wow the internet what an amazing thing let's go talk star trek oh wait everyone hates this star trek oh maybe i shouldn't watch it but actually not everyone hated this star trek at all voyager was was still popular it was still getting good good viewership tv shows would die for voyager's viewership now you know i know it's a different time but uh, upn the network it was on which is now CW. CW yeah. top shows get about a fifth. Because it merged with WB, so... I thought the way to look at maybe some of the decisions as to why they took Enterprise where they did, Series 5, of it, as it was referred to for so long mm-hmm. before it was given a name, I started looking at some of the viewership for Trek as a whole, and it's, it makes for interesting reading because I think there's some there is some information to be found in here that yeah. a lot of Trek fans wouldn't even know now, and it gives you an interesting perspective on the show. I don't know if you've had a look on line at these just a real quick one in front of me now i've got the average episode viewership per season 1988 to 1999 i'm just going to give you some figures okay next gen's first season had an average of 8.55 million viewers Uh, the second season 9.14 million the third season 9.77 million so we're seeing that we're seeing an increase which is incredible that the second season increased on the first because some people consider the first two seasons of next gen as the weakest of that particular era of of star trek season four uh, of next gen got went up to 10.58 million series five was 11 and a half million viewers average and then from this point on so that was the spring mm-hmm. of 1992 now from for some perspective before i yeah. get any more figures the average episode viewership for star trek would drop every single year on the year before the later figures are affected by ds9 and voyages numbers being put together it's a little different to to just judging like next gen on its own and such and enterprise on its own but yeah so looking at next gen season six i'm not sure if this is where ds9 may have started to come into the numbers but uh we went to 10.8 million viewers in 93 to 94 it was 9.78 million in 94 to 95 so this is when next gen was gone now this was voyager and deep space nine and this drop becomes seven million average viewers then the following year 95 to 96 is 6.4 million viewers 96 to 97 is 5 million viewers average 97 to 98 4.53 million uh, 98 to 99 4 million this is the average thing i think i have a feeling that ds9 was actually without looking at the numbers was averaging about 5 million viewers so i think the number's been pulled down by voyager a little uh, on those but what a massive drop before enterprise had even before anyone even thought about it trek was already in yeah. decline and i've got the figures for the last season of voyager to hand i haven't got the sixth season ones i didn't have time to work them out the season average for voyager season seven was 5.2 million viewers per episode which comes from the finale which was the highest rated episode since right. scorpion part two that was 8.8 million viewers which was well above it was like three or four million more than voyager was normally getting and it had a, a higher than normal premiere episode for unimatrix part two which I think was six point something million. So that was pulled up. I think actually if you took those out, the average for Voyager, if you took those two episodes out, the average for Voyager that season is actually 4.9 million viewers, which is still quite respectable um, at the time, but obviously less than where Trek was. And we're going to come into everything they did with Enterprise, but we would eventually go from 8.8 million Trekkies or casuals tuning in for that Voyager finale, which was already a stark increase, to 12 million average 
tuning in for the first episode of Enterprise. That's actually an average. I think it got as high as 16 million people at one point were watching. Average for the season with those, uh, for Voyager's final season, with those finale and the premiere in is 5.2 million average and Enterprise's first season was 5.9 so actually it was the first real time that we saw that there was more people watching uh, than the season before so it declined after that Enterprise went to 4 million average ended up on 2.9 but yeah lots of change there so I think it's interesting to look at that and know what the what the internet was starting to do to fandom and maybe misleading people as to what fandom felt to maybe what why some of the decisions were made that were made so and i'm talking a lot in this bit because you weren't in the fandom at that exact time so uh, i'm not i'm not cutting you out here it's just yeah um, no <laughs> just trying to give uh, you and everyone listening a sort of an idea of where we were at with it i believe uh, rick berman was asked to start developing another star trek show as ds9 was coming to a close they were asked to put a new star trek show or start working on one as ds9 was ending so this would have been ahead of the sixth season of voyager i think uh doing my maths in my head i think they wanted to hold off i think they wanted to focus on just having one show for a little while rick berman was very keen to create a show with brandon braga who had become showrunner on voyager and so they didn't want to sort of split his duties too much so they waited a while i'd be curious to know how they managed to persuade paramount to hold off for two years for a track show because i can imagine they were very keen to to have another one and you know especially you know they're they're with voyager and ever since since uh, the next generation came on there was overlapping series you know the the tail end of of one was kind of the ushering end of the next i just want to point out the reason i've mentioned a lot of the ratings as well is that i think Enterprise is the show that even now people will talk about how it was the one that it's it lost so many ratings, so many viewers across its run that Star Trek came to an end. But actually, the the numbers don't tell don't say that at all. Enterprise was scoring really well with with DVR numbers. It was I remember at the time it was showing up as one of the most downloaded shows, illegally downloaded mm-hmm. shows on certain websites. The actual decline in viewership was there long before Enterprise. Enterprise gave it a little bit of life again, but it just settled back in. And there could be loads of reasons for that, which maybe mm-hmm. that, that's a whole other podcast, I guess, as to why Trekkies may have been um, sort of moving away. Let's look at the decision to go back in time then. Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, they were very enthusiastic to go backwards uh, rather than forwards. I remember an interview with Brandon Braga where he was asked, like, you know, why didn't you go forward? And he said that uh, I think maybe there'd been talk of like a fall of the Fed federation idea which has always been thrown up it's always stuck with me that he said he personally couldn't see what a a future trek show would look like other than tighter starfleet uniforms i remember him saying he just couldn't see it other than the uniforms getting tighter he couldn't work out how do you make the future trek look different one might say that given we're going to see discovery go now like 800 years ahead of that you you could argue that maybe it was just that was just brandon braga and rick berman Mm. the team who'd been working on it for a long time couldn't see what that future looked like but now we're seeing people going ahead of that timeline we have technology now in the production of these shows that allows them to do different things that they couldn't have done Mm -hmm. 20 years ago now let's talk about the fact that they wanted originally to do a full season on earth but they were told, yeah. no, I'm not sure by if it was by UPN or by Paramount. They were told, no, they couldn't do it. Now, what's your feelings on that? What do you think a first season would have looked like entirely on Earth? For for me, it would have just been neat to see the uh, the technical aspects of them building up the Enterprise, you know, get to know the crew a little bit more, give, you know, Hoshi and Travis a little bit more screen time because, you know, vastly underused mm. 
throughout the season. Yeah, you'd think that we would probably meet the characters a little differently, yeah. wouldn't you? Like, if you're going to take 26 episodes to get the ship to launch, I don't know how they could have drawn it out that long. I'll say that. I don't know how they could have done 26 episodes on Earth, but at least with some kind of storytelling right. case that was keeping people attached. But I could imagine that the show would start with Travis still with his family on his own ship, you know, and um, and we're sort of getting to know him through that. And maybe he ends up on the Enterprise through a different, something different. Maybe our Archer meets him through some mission or something. Maybe another section 31 for reed came later right. but we could have maybe kind of introduced that a little a little sooner yeah definitely so maybe we would have met people differently archer and depaul relationship might have been much more antagonistic for that duration so that would be that would have been interesting but obviously upn said no they were very clear what they wanted they wanted for the most part an episodic show in space yeah. they wanted a, a ship just flying through uh, new adventures each week it's a shame that Brandon Braga, in particular, gets some criticism mm-hmm. for his stint on Star Trek. And he really did at the time. If people think that some of the unnecessary hate that goes at Alex Kurtzman now is unknown of in a Trek fandom, then they just were not around no. 20 years ago. Because Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, or B&B... The Killer Bees. <laughs> yeah, the Killer Bees. They would get destroyed online. Worse than anything I've seen about Kurtzman. Yeah. But poor Bra- Brandon Braga, where he's... He's, he's sort of lumped in and Rick Berman with always producing more of the same. But they actually did try to produce something yeah. different with Enterprise right from the start. And it was the network saying no. Imagine how different Trek would look from that era if, okay, you had Next Gen and Voyager, clones uh-huh. of each other, ship out exploring. But you had a DS9 on a space station and then you had Enterprise that was about, was on Earth getting ready, trying to build a ship to go on the first... Like, suddenly that whole era of Star Trek looks very different as to yeah. what they produced, doesn't it? They struggled to get the prequel idea to fly as well i think even upn weren't keen to do that i believe they had to insert the temporal cold war just idea just to get them to approve it yeah just to get upn on board and i, and I think i remember brandon braga saying that they'd suggested that they'd use it to make cameos yeah and things from the main shows which they never did i don't think he ever planned to upn to say yeah we're fine with that they've obviously played the network there a little bit but would you would you think that Trek, with its reputation at the time, um, and okay, viewership was declining, but still had a lot yeah. of people watching, a lot of money to make. Um, are you surprised that they ran into so much creative difficulties with the network, even before launch? When you're dealing with the network, you're always going to have the, the corporates in the suits and ties, you know, trying to dictate, we've seen that people want, so let's go ahead and do this. As opposed to, you know, when DS9, which was just straight syndication... They brought in things like, you know, Vic Fontaine and all those kind of crazy ideas that most of them did stick. And being syndicated was actually one of one of the liberating parts for DS9 to be able to do that stuff. And if Enterprise had been given the same same leeway, I, I think we would have gotten at least between five and ten episodes on Earth. And then after that, go ahead and launch it into space and kind of getting a little bit sort of what we had there in the first season. It's funny if that show was made now. I guarantee they would have got that yeah. first season. It'd be shorter seasons, like we see now anyway, with Picard and 10, 13 episodes. I can get, yeah, guarantee they'd get that now without even any pushback, probably. No. You know, they'd be straight away, be like, oh, that sounds great. Okay, so that's that season. And the second season, it's going to be in space. That's great. We can market that differently. Keeps it fresh. Whereas back then, keeping it fresh wasn't even necessarily on the uh, network's mind. And it's just, in- I always find it interesting that Rick Berman was interested in that, though. You know, there, there, there were the other ideas floating around of, you know, doing a uh, an Academy series along the veins of yep, Dawson's yep. Creek, Minor 210, that, and then also getting uh, George Takei his own show as, as Captain Sulu. Yeah, those ideas have always been circulating. I remember being around at the time and like the Starfleet Academy idea has been there since, I think, 
ever since Star Trek yeah. Six. So what was that about nineteen ninety one? I think there is a script that is circulating somewhere online for the original. Ever since then, it's been the idea. Whenever there's been a new show. Oh, it must be Starfleet Academy with Kirk and Spock <laughs> or something. So, like, there's obviously a Trek enthusiasm for mm-hmm. it. And yet, ironically, now, when there actually is a Starfleet Academy idea apparently being developed, there's people complaining, yeah. saying they don't want it. <laughs> I think I saw a, a quote the other day when I was doing some research for this, that Brandon Bragg and Rick Berman said that they'd never really put much thought for Series 5 being right. that show. But yeah, that, you're right. That, that was absolutely what a lot of the fandom thought the show might be. And talk about Sulu. Like, I, I think a lot of people, even though people say they want to go forward, a lot of the Trek fan appetite was for a prequel. I don't think anyone thought... We're going to go that far back. Yeah, that far. They they thought we're going to revisit 23rd century right. Trek and maybe some characters we know, some recasting going on, or George Takai coming back as, as an old an old captain. So, yeah, I think people kind of sensed that we were going to go backwards. Let's talk a bit about production design then. I think they talk about it on the DVD extras and such as well, yeah. but they visited lots of submarines yeah. and things like that to get an idea for enclosed space. So for you, what order did you watch the Trek shows? I watched uh, the original series and animated series first and then Enterprise. And then I did a complete watch through of Next Gen and then DS9 and I'm on Voyager now. So the production design was of like the sets and such of the ship. That was that was very clear to you that it was different. Right. Uh, with the modern era when you're watching that. How do you find the set design for the Enterprise? I enjoyed the NX-01, the look of it, the feel of it. I, I liked how they did sort of like a call call forward in this case to like the, the little viewer that T'Pol had on her station. As as they were kind of going along, they had more of the, the gumdrop buttons and, and blinking lights. Like I said, I'm just glad that we didn't see a whole lot of actual, you know, yarn and, and string. It was more wire wiry looking. Yeah, I'm I even now I've just completed a full rewatch of the show a couple of weeks ago and like even now I'm amazed at how well the set yeah. design holds up. And I think that's because with the twenty fourth century tracks, particularly Voyager, I guess, which is the most recent one, they weren't basing it on any real world examples. Right. They were just looking at what they'd already designed for Star Trek and think, Okay, what does a what does a newer, slicker version of this look like whereas with enterprise yeah they were going inside submarines inside ships and saying okay so the corridors are actually this narrow all right so people are ducking their heads walking through doors and things like that or little steps over when the door opens taking the little step when, when they get to the bridge, they got more toggles and switches and buttons as opposed to just touchpads. Buttons everywhere. And as, as you said, as the show went on, it got a little bit more colorful with the buttons. And I, I know that was a deliberate production design to show them getting closer to the original series visual. I mean, the ship goes through a very big redesign on the bridge really in season mm-hmm. four which i'd forgotten like i knew it happened but it was only on this rewatch most recently where i was like wow actually the ship looks very different yeah on the bridge in particular in season four where with the blue carpets and they've painted certain i think the handrails went from silver to mm-hmm. blue things like that i mean i'm a massive fan of the bridge i love the bridge of the nx01 it's my favorite bridge the new bridges like i love yeah. all track i am if someone asked me I, well we did this last week you know my favorite tracks is like enterprise discovery picard i love yeah. the new ones but the bridge design on the new ones does not touch enterprise for me you had a big a very strong relationship with 2009 yeah. movie but even that bridge which you could also argue is a really nice design mm-hmm. i don't think that bridge is as good as the nx01 i yeah. still think the nx01 it just feels really it lives the nx01 is the only star trek bridge i think that, that live feels like a real place right you would live in that you'd work in speaking in with the kelvin films and beyond with the bridge of the franklin 
I liked how they kind of channeled that a little bit with the with the NX01. Let's talk about not even just production design, like the rooms and stuff. How about the the uniform design? Because this this was one of the biggest changes. I actually enjoy the Enterprise uniforms. They do look a lot like what NASA uses. Combination of you know NASA plus Navy because. Navy has the coveralls here in the here in the states at least for the, for their day to day, and they actually had pockets pockets everywhere. That's a lot like what the uniforms are 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 actually like. I I still am partial to to my cargo shorts with with my time in the Marine Corps because we had cargo pants as the the trousers, and I do miss the the breast pockets of, and the the pockets on the the arms. I would find it weird having stuff in pockets <laughs> on my arms. I think I'd feel a bit uncomfortable. But you're right, yeah, they are like the sort of NASA uniforms and such. And that goes back again to everything about Enterprise's production visually looked grounded in the real world. And I guess it was 150 years ahead of when it right. launched timeline-wise. You could argue that, oh, it doesn't feel like it's evolved that much. But like there's a World War Three in there as well in the Trek timeline, you know, so that would noticeably hold us back slightly yeah. with technology and visuals. And so, yeah, it just feels, it feels real and... I don't think we saw that effort in like the Voyager production design. They were just like, okay, these these are the DS9 ones. Let's tweak them just a little bit. And there you go. I think DS9 for the station, they put effort in because they, they wanted that to look different because it was alien. But yeah, I don't think Voyager saw the same attention. I'm a big fan of everything with the visuals with Enterprise. I thought maybe talk about now is the, uh, the cast of Scott Bakula as Captain Archer. He was headhunted for the role, if I remember right. I do believe they they had him specifically in mind when they created the character for Archer. I feel like it was Rick Berman who specifically wanted him, wasn't it? I think so. I could be wrong, and listeners will correct me, I'm sure. I feel like he wasn't originally keen to do it until he got told he'd be the first captain, the captain before Kirk. And I believe that is what got... Uh, got Scott Bakula to take on the role of Jonathan Archer, or I think it was Jeffrey Archer was the character name. Yeah, I, th- I think early on it was Jeffrey. 2009 about then, you started watching Enterprise, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously uh, the show was done then, but like Scott Bakula was famous for Quantum Leap long before he started doing Enterprise. So had you watched Quantum Leap at all? I'd seen a couple episodes. Most of what I had learned came actually from watching JAG, where Bud Roberts was a big Quantum Leap and Star Trek fan, actually. So that that's where I got most of my Quantum Leap information was, was an episode of JAG where they were actually at a Quantum Leap convention. I used to watch Quantum Leap all the time as a child. I loved it. I can't remember how old I was. I don't even remember when Quantum Leap ran. I don't know if it was like 92 to 96 or... Early, early 90s. Yeah. Scott was someone who I, like, I loved that show. And I was probably too young to watch it sometimes. Yeah. When I used to have a TV in my bedroom, and I used to have a black and white TV. Now everyone's got iPads yeah. and phones and everything. And I used to watch it on a black and white TV. And I used to hate using the black and white TV. <laughs> but I'd watch Quantum Leap on it on a Saturday night. I'd go upstairs, I'd watch Quantum Leap, and then I would watch Match of the Day, which is a football highlights show. Or it might be the other way around. I used to watch it with my family, and then that then it became something I enjoyed on my own. And that was actually the real start of what happened with my TV viewing, was that things Star Trek, again, as an example started watching that with my family then it became my own thing and quantum leap was the same so when i found out that sam beckett scott bacula's character on quantum leap was going to be the new captain oh my god chris i've never been so happy about a piece of casting in star trek ever i don't think i was i was so excited to have him and when i watch enterprise the entire time i watch enterprise i'm thinking i need to do a quantum leap rewatch <laughs> and then if ever i watch a quantum leap i'm like oh i need to do an enterprise rewatch like i'm just a massive fan how did you find him as a leading man for the show but both as what we know about him off screen as like a leader of the crew but also as the the face of the show off screen i'd say he's right up there with with all the other other captains and or show leads 
on screen. He does have a presence. It's maybe not as big and boisterous as, say, Avery Brooks when he's doing Cisco, but there's definitely strong contention there. I think the first time we see him as Archer, and we'll talk about this mm-hmm. next week specifically, but I think the first time we see him is when he is wearing his NX-01 hat. I guess you guys call them baseball caps to you out there. We just call them caps here. And you see him looking up, I think. They're looking up at the ship, but it looks like he's yeah. looking up at the stars. And, and from that moment, I was like, wow, yeah, Scott Bakula. I love this guy. <laughs> this is my captain. And then he gets onto the, I think it's only two or three minutes later in the show, he's telling to Paul he's going to knock her on her ass. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is my captain. And I'll, t- I'll tell you one reason why I think it reinvigorated Trek for me as well, having Scott Bakula. Now, we're in a real, and rightfully so, we're in a real sort of phase in, in media right now, and not just media, but in the world, about giving women opportunities right. to have female heroes on TV and film and things like that. I was 15 when Enterprise debuted, so you could argue that maybe I started to become slightly disinterested with Voyager when I was about 13 mm-hmm. or 14. And that's because at that point, Trek, which was which was my, my favourite franchise, didn't have a, a male lead that I could look right. up to, that I could identify with now that's not to say that i shouldn't be able to identify with a with a female hero but when you're an impressionable young teenager and you want to see what the idea of what you want to become you're looking for a male or female girls looking for for women Mm -hmm. heroes as well that's why we're creating female heroes now in media is is for not just for young women obviously for boys as well my my son is growing in a different world he loves he loves wonder woman (laughs) and all all these things you know because he's been given the opportunity to to see those heroes which we weren't as we were growing up because we would have turned out very different as well i think but trek wasn't giving me that male hero and ds9 had kind of done it you know cisco was a very different kind of lead yeah. though he wasn't the gung-ho throwing fists guy whereas archer was you know and and so for me just knowing we were gonna have a, um, a male captain I, it wasn't like a oh phew we're done with the female captain thing now because not at all not at all that that's not even no. that i've never had that approach to life but the idea that i was gonna have a captain now that was mine because picard was an old man yeah so i was one yeah when the next gen started, you know, and, and Cisco, I came onto it so late uh, watching DS9 in like the fourth season. So yeah, Archer was my first from day one captain. Where I was like, that's where I want to be. I want to be Captain Archer. And the fact they cast Scott Bakula, who I just loved from Quantum Leap. And he was so, so good behind the scenes from what we know as well for leading the crew. I think it was a brilliant piece of casting for them. What about the rest of the cast then? Because there was, um, you wouldn't have been around at the time, but I'm sure you've seen things since. Talking about the Troika. They were going to bring back the whole Kirk, Spock, and McCoy dynamic. This is probably the first time ever that a Star Trek show had actively come out and said, we've got this big cast, but only these three actually matter. And the other ones, not to say don't matter, but they are they are literally supporting characters. Yeah. We're not having the idea now that this person's the lead, but everyone's important. This is like, we're going to focus our show on these mm-hmm. three. You're going to know more about these three than these other ones. I guess for you, coming from watching lots and lots of the original series before you went on to enterprise that that wasn't actually any kind of cultural change no, for you wasn't. on the show <laughs> was it weirder for you going to the other shows a little bit to where to where it was a little bit more ensemble but it was one of those where once i got probably like an episode or two in into each series i was like okay i, li- I like how they're they're giving time to everybody and not just you know course laid in captain type of thing yeah i think the, the kirk spock mccoy dynamic was clearly there uh, right mm-hmm. from the start you could see the uh, you know spock and mccoy is trip into Paul. Would have been interesting if Spock and McCoy had ended up with the same relationship right. dynamics that <laughs> that Paul and Trip did. I don't I don't think there's quite as much slash fic though between Spock and McCoy as there's Spock and Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not, no. Uh, I've never I've never 
jumped into that rabbit hole though so i wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to tell you for sure i remember at the time that when they were all doing interviews uh, everyone was apparently a, a massive tos fan mm-hmm. on the cast it was always about oh yeah we love julian blaylock was like you know i, I grew up on the original mm-hmm. series i always loved spock they're all saying it given that they were putting the show before tos they were talking about trying to have that triumvirate, like you said, with the the cast. Do you think that some of that was a little bit of just trying to sort of make the Trek fans feel? Yeah, I think that, that was a, a little bit of a directive from on high to be like, hey, really hype up your original series watching. A couple of them probably did. But as far as being like, hey, you know, you know this is actually how it was. I think if we had a real down and dirty tell all book from from them, they, they would probably spill the beans on it <laughs> i'd love to see that book or give us a documentary like the ds9 one that's the dream i guess we'll talk about the casting in more detail next week when we discuss broken bow so we'll move on from that a little bit now let's talk about the marketing of the show because this is an interesting one upn obviously was as we chatted earlier was the channel it was going on so it was a network show as opposed to ds9 and tng which you mentioned earlier were syndicated voyager and enterprise were obviously network shows you sent me the link uh, reminded me of all the trailers from the pre-launch ones the other day and describe these trailers to me how you would i've got my oh. notes about the things <laughs> i picked out how would you describe what we saw in them they were really pushing hey you know this is before kirk and and all that and i mean this is gonna be the, the first people going out into space we're gonna have adventures every week like they did on the original series sort of a return return to the to the 60s style type of thing i believe and I'm not I'm not American, so I couldn't tell you, but I believe that after Endgame aired, right at the end of the credits, they ran the first ever advert, which said, before Janeway, before Picard. Before Kurt. It missed out yes. Cisco. Yeah, it missed out Cisco. I remember the outrage. Oh, yeah. I remember the, the the hate and venom on online that Cisco's name wasn't in there. Yeah, before Spock, before Kirk, there was Enterprise. And the idea that... Captain Kirk's idol growing up was Archer, was Captain Archer and things like that. So many people were furious that Cisco got missed out. And in the link that you gave me, it obviously has all the adverts, doesn't it? And you'll see on the next one. They included him. Even then, they were having to sort of apologize <laughs> in their own way to the fans. You forget all these things until you yeah. start watching them again. You're like, oh my God, I remember that. All the controversy over that. Uh, even then, we were all just complaining online <laughs> about what the powers that be were doing. Obviously, the trailers, yeah, they, they evolved into something more the closer we got. On the footage we saw, as an advertising campaign, what do you think UPN were trying to sell about this show compared to like Voyager before it? That it was definitely going to be different than Voyager, at least in, in some regards. A little more action heavy and less, you know, talk. More, more cowboy diplomacy. I'll tell you some of the things I picked out watching them uh, straight away. Number one, sexy women. Number two, there was kisses. You know, you, see, you yeah. saw the captain who they'd already established Archer was the captain of the show. You see him kissing the babe of the week. There was explosions. There was the clips from the decon chamber with no context at right. all. You just saw rubbing gel on him. They had a male lead. Basically, they were showing everything that Voyager had not had. Right. Okay, yes, you had seven and nine. For whatever reason, they chucked her in that cat suit that looked like it was going to kill her. Let's not pretend that Voyager was free of these attempts to sex up the show, but when you have a, a, a female lead like they did mm-hmm. and they were treating her in the old Trek way, you couldn't sex up the show that much. I guess you, you could say it. the message becomes a bit convoluted. Right. Can you imagine if you had the sexed up side of Enterprise mixed <laughs> with Voyager? I can't even visualize what that even looks like. It just it wouldn't work and it would undermine everything. In the Enterprise stuff, you see all that straight mm-hmm. away and I'm sure I was a 15-year-old boy. Let's not, let's not pretend that UPN were aiming it at anyone else right. other really than, than <laughs> people like me and, and young men so like i fell for it but don't get me wrong i love enterprise from start to finish but it's very clear that there was stuff geared towards men and young men and older men clearly was chasing a male audience now i don't know what the demographics were like i don't know if maybe they felt they'd lost 
lost some of that audience through Voyager. My kind of thing with that type of campaign is that they had lost some of those viewers because for Voyager, the lead was a female and they weren't able to put her in the same situations you would Cisco or Picard and or Kirk. Which is funny now because they, they do. Yeah. Burnham is out there kicking all sorts of ass. I'm allowed to even say that word <laughs> in this podcast. Kicking all sorts of rear end. Seven and nine now has become mm. a butt kicker as well. They probably could have done that stuff with Janeway. I always remember the Voyager episode. Was it called Microcosm? Macrocosm. That's it. And I always remember she had like the vest on, phaser rifle. Star Trek aliens. <laughs> I always remember that image of Janeway, but I know that wasn't really what Janeway was. Rightly or wrongly, whatever people think about sexed up Trek or anything like that, actually instead of plot upn definitely picked out those things as we're going to throw this at the screen mm-hmm. and people are going to come and people did come yeah. like we said they found four million extra viewers between may and september yeah also another thing i picked out and i always remember this because this was one of my favorite songs as a teenager was they switched to using the song by the call-in mm-hmm. called wherever you will go uh, which was the song they used on so much of the advertising i remembered it as soon as i looked at the link that you'd fired over i was like yeah i remember i remember this song was on all the advertising because i used to go online and watch the american trailers because right. we didn't have anything in the uk it's not like now where you get the international release of all the footage you have like a uk page and on facebook and a, also a usa page and they still release the trailers on the mall yeah. you have to go actively hunt down as a uk viewer then actually try and hunt down the trailers for us tv and yeah you had uh, wherever you'll go on there now this is my favorite song from when i was 15 I was wondering why they picked that song beyond the fact that it was obviously popular. I didn't realize it had actually come out that year. I thought maybe it had been a year earlier. But it turns out it came out in May of 2001, that song, and had got as high as fifth on your Billboard Top 100. And it was number one on, I don't know the charts there, the Adult Top 40. It was number one on the Adult Top 40 for 23 weeks, uh, which apparently was like the second longest run a song had ever had in this charts at number one it was probably still number one when enterprise debuted like so this song was obviously popular in the mm-hmm. u.s so this was upn saying we've got explosions we've got we've got sexiness we've got leads who are throwing punches now not trying to end everything with diplomacy but like you said you know we're gonna was it cowboy di- cowboy diplomacy and look at this song we're using a song that's the most popular song right now in the country you know and this is so close to home this is so new and modern mm-hmm. this is trek that anyone can watch you don't have to be into tight spandex to watch this it's so obvious isn't it because Nowadays, we're all aware of how we're being marketed to. Whereas back then, we're not. Back then, we wasn't such... That kind of area of the business wasn't so well known right. to us. I think it all came together great, but the song doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in the context of, apart from saying the words, you know, I'll go wherever you will go, mm-hmm. which is basically just saying, we'll come on the ship with you wherever you'll go. But the song is like a like a relationship yeah. song. It's a pretty sad song when you <laughs> break down the lyrics, but it was popular and UPM using it. I'd love to know how much money they had to spend for it, though. How much went into that the use of that song at that time, which probably cost a bomb. Yeah. The marketing worked, we know that, and we'll talk about the episode next week. I want to talk about something, Chris, and you're going to have to lead the way on this because you're you're American, this directly affects you. But as we know, Broken Bow debuted, the first episode debuted on the 26th. Yeah, 26th. September 2001, which I think was a Tuesday. It might have been a Wednesday. I can't remember. I can say it would have been a bit of Wednesday because 9-11 was a Tuesday. 15 days earlier was 9-11, mm-hmm. a famous date. Had a massive impact across the world, but more so in America. Right. But my question to you with that is, was Trek suddenly needed a lot more in those sort of immediate weeks? As far as times when we've had Trek and when we've needed Trek, aside from today, at that point, we, we needed something new and fresh to, to kind of 
be like, hey, there is hope for the future. This isn't going to last. This is where we're heading. Let's try and get there. Trek has always had a reputation for presenting that hopeful vision of the future. But do you think that was the first ever time where Trek had, in the moment they were producing it, had had that sort of weight on it to say, we need you to present us with hope? The only other time I could think of before then would have been The Voyage Home, because that was made during the uh, Challenger explosion. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I didn't think of that one. If this sort of need for hope and a show that was hopeful about where humanity can go, do you think that played into the higher viewing figures Broken Bow got? And it wasn't just necessarily Trekkies coming to it. We know UPN were targeting non-Trekkies. Right. Maybe people were trying it out because this was two weeks after a horrible event in your country, and maybe people wanted to try and get an idea that things are going to get better. It was one of those where I think it was the right series at the right time. Particularly as it went on. You weren't watching Enterprise at the time. Would Enterprise have been the kind of show then that you would have, even two weeks later, sort of watched and thought, you know, actually this gives me a bit more confidence and faith that we can head somewhere? What I remember from watching Broken Bow, actually a couple months ago now, after watching watching that two-parter, it would have been like, hey, yeah, things are going to get better. Uh, we will be able to get help with at least some of our problems, if not from within. And we know that 9-11 would influence Enterprise, and I'm sure we we're going we're gonna to talk extensively about this in numerous episodes of this podcast, but even in the first season, we right. saw the impact of 9-11 in Detained, yeah. things like that, where Trek had this responsibility to tackle issues like that. So we'll come on to that in, in other ones. And if you're going to talk about the launch of Enterprise, you need to talk right. about that catastrophic event from two weeks before and probably the weight of expectation that they felt i i can't watch enterprise without thinking about 9 right. from the start i know it's weird and i know that that plays very little very little role in any of the episodes but i just you know i associate enterprise with 9 because it was just the exact same time that these things happened we're both gonna end up doing a rewatch of broken bow in before the next yeah. episode of the podcast drops so let's talk about our excitement <laughs> we've almost done all the the pre-launch hype again yeah. for ourselves. How excited are you to jump into those first two episodes again? I'm really excited to get back into it. While we've been talking, I've actually had little images from from, from the episode flash through my head as I'm thinking back about it. It'll be great to, to watch those two again and get ourselves underway. I will say it now, and I'm going to say it lots of times next week. Broken Bow is the best premiere episode of a Star Trek show. Right. I can rewatch it so many times. It's got the right amount of action and it looks good. And I've recently rewatched Emissary. I also recently rewatched Caretaker. I haven't watched Encounter of Farpoint for probably like two years, but I remember it very, very much. And none of them compared to Broken no. Bow for me. Broken Bow is like excitement, edgiest seat. The other ones are a lot bit more thoughtful and, and such. I'm very much a, I'm an action guy. I love drama and things, but when I get like a, a ship in space, I want action. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's my style. So I'm just really excited to, to get underway and, and get, get this podcast the rest of the way out of space, Doc. What I will say to everyone is that we won't be doing like a watch along of broken bow next week maybe we'll do the one of that one day we'll do like a watch along on the podcast right. but please everyone watch broken bow mm -hmm. before next week's show so it's all fresh in everyone's minds when we talk about it we're going to do an in-depth episode analysis our first one on the show uh, so i can't wait for it and then the following week we're going to do an in-depth analysis of the final episode yeah. of enterprise so get onto netflix or cbs all access or amazon prime or your dvd collection or your blu-ray collection however you watch your star trek watch broken bow before this time next week to join us in our conversation about the finest debut episode of a Star Trek spin-off series. On 9th of September 2020, our weekly discussion will focus on the Enterprise novel by the book. 
This was the first original Enterprise novel, following the adaptation of the Enterprise premiere episode, Broken Bow. If you'd like to be fully knowledgeable of what we discuss in our 9th of September show, then please dig out your copy of Buy the Book, or visit an online retailer to purchase a copy. We look forward to our first ever book club discussion. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and Kyle on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep shirts on. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. And she starts swinging it in a ridiculously reckless way. That is so over the top that I was laughing out loud. It's putting a smile on my face. I know you were laughing really when you first saw it. I really related to that moment. <laughs> you know I get over the top. It was, uh, I just think it gives a good idea at her. And the way they cut around it, it's so close in her face. You're like, oh my God, she's crazy. And then we get the moment where she just slices it into his leg. And it's very graphic. Oh, it's very detailed. You see the muscle, like the different muscles torn. You can like see the, the Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, I think you see bone as well. Loading Holosuite preview program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. The orangey skin makes me think of something else. Makes you think nowadays. of Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, it, and bad hair. Oh my god! He's Kazon. Donald Trump is Kazon. Trump is Kazon. Oh my god! I'm surprised he's not calling himself Marge Trump. <laughs> because he's not very bright either. No. It fits perfectly. I understand it all now. We've we've just been taken over by the Kazon. And we didn't even realize it. No. Oh my god. <laughs> Listeners, we've just solved the mystery of the last four years in the United States. Loading Holosuite preview program for There Are Four Questions, a Star Trek Spotlight podcast. I always thought I was special that I knew that the theme came from the end of of the original motion picture. Like, I thought nobody knew that but me. (laughs) And of course, that was dumb to think. But that was, and that was the thing that, that always really sort of stuck with me. So in getting to in getting to work on Discovery, it was, you know, really, really an amazing experience for me and an amazing thought to be able to start working in this world of this kind of narrative. But when when I talked to Alex about doing um, Picard, it was on a whole nother level of of connection for me. Computer deactivate Holosuite.